Okay, folks, today we're here with O.B. Rawls, uh, the president of uh, PaySafe. And uh, O.B., I've known you for many, many years, taught me a lot in this business. Uh, I was hoping you can uh, pass on some of your knowledge to our, to our listeners. And sort of to get going, maybe you could maybe, if you wouldn't mind, provide a brief overview of your career, you know, highlight, highlight some of the places where you've worked uh, and your path to PaySafe. Yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to, Patty, uh, and thanks for having me on your podcast today. Uh-huh. Thank uh, you. I, I started out years ago, you know, working for Bank of America, and I was actually a, a repo guy. My first job at the <laughs> bank was um, was collecting um, cars from people who you know couldn't make their payments. Wow. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> that was that was my first lesson in negotiation. Oh, know, I bet. We we didn't <laughs> want the cars. We'd prefer to have the uh, the money. The money. Yeah. And so from from there, you know, I went to various different jobs inside the bank and ended up in Norfolk, Virginia in the early 90s running the the credit card company uh, or the acquiring part of uh-huh. Bank of America's credit card company. And uh, from there, we went on to form a joint venture with First Data called Unified Merchant Services. I remember, right. And mm-hmm. we, yeah, and we were, I think we were in the top 10 mm-hmm. as acquirers back then because of, of the bank's portfolio. And from there, I went to the UK and built the Lloyds Bank joint venture with um, First Data there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still the longest running joint venture. In the in first data's history, and it's doing really well. It's called Card Debt in the UK. Right. And um and after that, uh, I spent three years in purgatory in healthcare, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just a, a an illogical you know, sort of business right. for us. And and then I went to Hypercom, where um, I eventually controlled. Uh, our distribution network mm-hmm. uh, around the world and had responsibility for development and other operational activities. You know, back at that time, we actually managed a quarter of a million terminals on the countertop right. uh, down in Brazil. It was an interesting business at the time. Especially at that and time. Then, oh, yeah, it really was. And then Ed Labrie called me and said, hey, I got a great opportunity for you. Um, we're going private over here at, at – um, First day, just to come back come and help on me back. <laughs> yeah, and I did. I went back and, um, you know, ran the hardware company there and then had several jobs, you know, including uh, managing the, the large merchant network for both relationship management and um, new business development. I had operations at one time over there, uh, helped negotiate the joint venture in Brazil. And then my last job at the bank was running the um, third-party distribution business or the ISO channel, as we know it. Mm-hmm. And um, when we went public in October of 15, you know, I started planning my departure from First Data. And I looked around. I got an opportunity to come to iPayment uh-huh. to run um, iPayment, which was uh, First Data's largest uh, independent ISO. Mm-hmm. And you know it was a it was an interesting journey. We spent some time, you know, recovering and turning the company around, and we sold it in June of last year to PaySafe. And now, and and which is where and, you are uh, now, yeah. So now, me. now I'm at PaySafe. Uh, and so, I'm sorry. yeah, oh, that's okay because you know, given the 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 length and, and extensiveness of your career. 
I'm just wondering, maybe if you could just help us, you know, get a, maybe just give me uh, one or two of the biggest changes that you've witnessed in this space in these <laughs> last, I mean, I know there's been so many changes. What would you say were perhaps the most salient changes you've witnessed? You know, I, I think there are three that I could okay. tell you about that are, are interesting to me. And when I first started, and as you may remember, the only fraud detection device we had was a, a set of credit card numbers printed right. on very thin very, paper. Very tiny and, print and very thin paper, right. Yeah, and that was that was it. That was fraud mm -hmm. detection right. back then. So th the changes that have occurred in um, risk and risk management and protection of cardholder data now you know, is probably one of the most significant changes over time. The the second for me is the the electronification of the point of sale, and um, you know, spreading the ability to more merchants to do business in an electronic fashion mm -hmm. was really a significant event. Sure. And I think the the third most significant event is is a derivative of all of the fintech disruption we've seen in the last five years. Mm-hmm. And we've evolved as an industry where we used to sell on price right. and, and not service and not value right. to one now where we're offering solutions at the point of sale. Mm -hmm. We're actually offering light POS devices and products and services that help small businesses stay in business longer. And, and I know that sounds like a cliche, but it's not. Right. And as we help businesses manage everything they need, through um, some series of services and products that may come to hardware, uh, they stay in business longer and we stay in business longer. Right, right. Well, you know, that's interesting because when, when I was doing my research on PaySafe, you know, one of the things that I found interesting was um, that in your family, of, your family of products includes uh, consumer credit options. Uh, what is it, PaySafe Later, I think, was one of the things. and. And online cash payments, pay safe cash. Yeah. How does that yeah, work? Yeah, pay safe cash and pay safe pay later. Pay later, Are okay. The two right, right. Yep. You know, this strikes me as something really interesting in terms of you know broadening what what ISOs and agents can and can bring to the table. Can you can you explain how these work and yeah. and sort of how that well, that seems to feed into what you were just saying? I can. Uh, I, I would. I would tell you that they're both uh, in pilot in the U.S. and we really haven't rolled them out okay. in, in, okay. in a full-fledged rollout yet. But but the concept here's the here's the concept. You know, we build a broad distribution base of of merchants, so we have over three hundred thousand merchants mm -hmm. in uh, our business today, and they're all small businesses primarily, right? Servicing the needs of consumers and. Lending for uh, in lending by banks for individuals has become more difficult mm -hmm. uh, over the last years, and the banks haven't really been able to make money on it. So you see um, derivatives of that occurring. Right. We have a uh, we we have a merchant cash advance program that that we fund that helps small businesses borrow um, money like a. It'd be hard for a pizzeria to go to the bank and borrow forty thousand dollars to get a new oven, but 
you know, we can we can lend him the money against his um, proven you know, card proceeds what sure. we deposit to his account, you know, every day. Right. And and help small businesses thrive. The pay safe pay later and pay safe cash are consumer derivatives. Mm-hmm. And so we we're testing now the ability at certain merchants um, to offer a consumer at the point of sale the ability to finance that purchase. And if you think about it, it really broadens our distribution channel. Sure. So we have 300,000 outlets now with the capacity to offer um, consumer loans to their clients. Mm -hmm. And and that's, that's the concept of pay safe, pay later. Pay safe cash is for a lot of people who do not have uh, access to bank accounts. Sure, that's what I was thinking. Exactly, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they 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 need um, the ability to access cash or to buy certain products, and so we developed um, a cash for voucher system. Okay. That can run off of of an individual consumer's phone so we offer an account they can deposit cash at a number of locations uh, okay. around uh-huh. Europe so it's like a mobile and payment then, we, then. And it, yeah we just create a, a network for them to mm-hmm. go and pay with their phone and to take advantage of a bank-like feature without us being a bank right and it allows you to i mean you know especially here in the u.s we have you know probably anywhere from eight to twelve percent of people still don't have bank accounts i mean that's a that becomes an option that that helps the merchant, it helps the ISO, and and uh, and the consumer, and the consumer. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's a, but for us, it's just a, a distribution network that we broadened mm-hmm. using um, uh, our uh, retail merchant locations. Okay. Well, that's great. One of the other programs too that I know you guys uh, have have been a leader in the industry is with uh, cash discounting. You know, uh, uh, programs where you're passing the cost onto the consumer. Um, and I think you guys actually recently made a few changes to the cash discounting program that you're offering to agents and ISOs. I was kind of hoping that on the podcast, maybe you could shed a little light on that and let us know some of the, the changes that have, that have been made in that program and what your plans are with, with that moving forward as well. Well, it's, it's really a challenging area right now. You know, I'm a big fan of, of cash discounting mm-hmm. and the, in fact, the purest attempt that we've seen or distribution we've seen is gas stations, right? When they average uh, gasoline three dollars, cash three dollars right. and five cents credit. Right. And and I believe that's what the card brands intended when they allowed the creation of a uh, of cash discounting. However, in the marketplace today, it's not being sold that way, and so right. the the brands are starting to react. Right. And the bank sets that sponsor us are starting to react as well. Some banks are indifferent towards the program and let the market exist. Uh, others aren't. And so we we wanted to be in compliance with the bank and the card brands policy. So we reined back in our products a little bit. Sure. But I, I believe that over time, you know, the card brands will lose this battle. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Controlling. So when you talk about reining them back in, what is, can you can you just give me a little sense of what that means? Well, we just trying to make sure all of our programs that we were offering are compliant. Okay. And that 
you know merchants merchants have a chance we we offered everybody a grace period but the card brands are are talking about leveling twenty five thousand and and thirty five thousand dollar fines at the merchant level yeah right. so we don't we, we don't want to create any hardships for the small merchants and so yeah. So we want to give everybody a chance to get into compliance. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, well, let me let me follow so, it up with one question too, because I know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say where where every time you see this kind of innovation, you see you know, the opportunity to to drive into places you shouldn't go. Mm-hmm. And so sure. it's probably become um, a broader pro- program than anybody intended, and. Uh, the merchants will end up paying the bill if the fines come through. So yeah. we want to make sure that you they, don't want them they to get have hit. choices. Sure. No. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I know that a lot of the uh, there's still a lot of ISOs out there, especially smaller ISOs, but even some large ones that do have these programs that you know, according to Visa and their bulletin, are you know not compliant with Visa rules. Um, how do you see that playing out over the next 12 to 24 months? Do you see Visa and, and these larger companies putting a lot more pressure to, you know, move to compliant surcharge programs, or how do you see this playing out? You know, I'm not sure. I think it'll be driven initially by consumer complaints. Mm-hmm. You know, Visa is not a a, a, a a police organization, right? Sure, right. You know, but they they do enforce their rules. So if a consumer complains to Visa or their bank about um, a program they don't like, and then Visa and the banks have to react. So, so I expect you'll see, you know, an increasing number of, of consumer complaints followed by an appropriate action from the card brands. So have the card brands actually been, been going to the – I mean, that's something I know I heard. I was at the NEAA. Um, I guess that was – a last month um and somebody had brought up the issue that you know visa was going to start going out you know to the to the isos um and the acquirers you know sort of preaching the gospel against cash discounting is that what's happening or is it just more you're you're sort of looking at the programs and saying wait a minute no i think they sent bulletins out Mm -hmm. yeah but we haven't we we've seen some um some bank concerns Okay. Thus far, but not, but not every bank thinks it's a big deal. Right. And so, sure. You know, I think I think enforcement and compliance will be spotty for a good while. Yeah, that's what I was wondering because you know sometimes I hear people say, oh, you know, Visa sent out this bulletin, so now everybody's going to jump off of the cash discounting and bandwagon and go to surcharging. And I'm not. I mean, it, you know, I read the bulletin, and you know, that didn't seem that clear cut to me. It just seemed to say, no, you just need to make sure you're doing it right. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck interpreting that, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stay away from that one. Well, <laughs> you know, you know yeah, uh, need, none of us are lawyers, so we can all stay away from that. But, yeah, but, sure. but yeah, James, do you have another question? No, I think, I, think, I think that was it. Well, you know, one other thing, actually, I just thought of. Didn't you guys, uh, you guys recently also did a really big push into uh, high risk, right? Don't you guys, doesn't PaySafe have a really big high risk division now? Well, I think um, PaySafe does uh, have um, specialized verticals that we are acquiring mm-hmm. um, around nutraceuticals. And, sure, um, some specific verticals um, that are high risk. Specific verticals, okay. um, travel, um, uh, rental, vacation rentals, and things of that nature, airlines. 
And uh, that was, PaySafe was originally founded as Optimal Payments Corporation. Right. Okay. And right. Um, they they specialized in, in building these markets during that period of time. And um, now we've grown into uh, being the fifth um, or sixth largest acquirer. Right, in, right. Um, in the U.S. And, you know, that's a blend of um, of the... MCPS, Merchant Choice Payment Systems, iPayment Portfolios, and mm-hmm. a couple of other acquisitions early on with Merit Card and Meritus. So, so um, the, ma- the majority of our business is traditional SMB. Right. Okay. Activity. Can you, uh, you know, that, that is one of the things I wanted to just quickly ask about um, also is, you know, PaySafe has been a lot of, uh, is the product of a lot of mergers and, and acquisitions. How how difficult is, is that to kind of bring together all these organizations under one umbrella? Is that is, I mean I know you I know you're an you're an intrepid businessman. I'm sure you know how to manage this. But is that something that's that that's easy to do? I mean, has that been a, a challenge? Do you think? Well, you know, growing up with the bank, Patty. Yeah. Um, I probably had twelve different jobs in sixteen years and mm-hmm. lived in a number of cities. Right. So. Change and change management and consolidation is your of, middle name. Uh, businesses, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it's in your DNA. Change, <laughs> change has never changes never scared me. Yeah, and uh, you know, consolidating these businesses, you know, are require different skills, financial skills, mm-hmm. getting financially compliant, you know, well, having good audited results, merging systems, and. Uh, Emerging cultures, mm-hmm. and it's all about leadership and about proper planning, and more importantly, execution. Yeah. And yeah. so, PaySafe is is a collection of, of different companies, but is coming together fairly nicely. So, the cultural changes are always the most important ones mm-hmm. to implement to make mm-hmm. sure everybody's on the same page. Right. Mm-hmm. So, okay, my, my last question to you, be and, and then we're going to want to get some information on how people can reach out to uh, PaySafe, but what would you say makes PaySafe uh, stand out among other merchant services provider? what would, providers? What would you say would be the most salient features? You know, I would think scale is our number one mm-hmm. um, strength in the merchant okay. marketplace today. Okay. You know, we we put we put two businesses together here in the U.S. Right. Uh, uh, two good sized businesses. Bald. Yeah. Yeah. They, but they they put number seventeen or eighteen uh, or eighteen and nineteen. I forget the exact numbers together, and magically you get number six. Right. Right. Acquiring right. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so with that comes the chance to be different mm-hmm. in the marketplace. So we're building value-added solutions that we're, we're bringing to clients. And I, I really do believe that our mission is, is to help small businesses grow by providing them the tools that will differentiate their business and make their businesses easier to run. So we don't we don't just sell terminals. Right. We don't just sell dongles. We sell solutions right. to the merchants. And you know, last month we sold uh, maybe um, almost fifteen hundred light POS systems. 
in the wow. in the marketplace. Hmm. And with that with that comes a different breed of client mm-hmm. and a better client, mm-hmm. and um, the people who want to stay in business for a long time. And yeah. I, I feel like I've been repetitive about that, but it's um, important. It's really important, yeah. and um, we we want to add value. The, right. the days of selling on price because that's been commoditized are over. Right. And what you if you sell on price, you lose on price, yeah. you know, eventually. Yeah. So if you, you create a set of value-added services that the merchant sees benefit in, then you're much more protected against um, people selling on price or, or – less clear value solutions. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've read a lot about, you know, studies and, and just anecdotal evidence that, you know, the, you know, basically, as the old adage goes, the more hooks you have, the the, the harder it is for the fish to, to rest free, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when I, when I worked for the bank, you know, that was my first experience with cross-selling, and mm-hmm. we, had, we had a president of the bank, a guy named Buddy Kemp, who... Um, jokingly called it the theory of in, entanglement. But mm-hmm. <laughs> if you if you sold someone more than three three services, then you usually got the benefit of the doubt if there was a service issue or, sure. or some problem, sure. yeah. because it becomes very complicated to to move. Right. We don't we don't hold our clients hostage, but we do have more discussion points and more more value mm-hmm. uh, conversations. Sure. When we offer them more than three different services. Well, this has been really, really enlightening. Yep. I always enjoy talking to you, and, and, and once again, I've come away more knowledgeable than I started. Absolutely. So, um, for our folks well, out in the field, if they do want to uh, reach out to, to PaySafe, what would be the best way to do that? Um, just tell them to write me, ob.rawls at paysafe.com. Okay. You might get a, you might get quite a few emails to that address, yeah. Obi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Don't blame me, Obi. <laughs> blame James. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, That's all right. Good stuff uh, today. Thank you so much but, for your time. Uh, I've always thanks, James. I've always tried to be approachable in this business. And, uh, and you always have been, my friend. Uh, Mike, thank you. Have nice a great day. Uh huh. Bye bye. Thanks for the opportunity. Bye. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Low cost and high reliability have long been critical criteria by which merchants have evaluated payment services. But there is a growing body of evidence that these criteria are taking a back seat to fraud and security concerns as more transactions move to digital platforms. The National Retail Federation reported last year that fraud is the top payment issue facing retailers as more consumer as more commerce and fraud activity move online. Fifty five percent of retailers surveyed by NRF um, and Forrester Research said fraud was their top concern, compared to 45% who said cost of card acceptance was their top concern. Now the payments firm PaySafe is weighing in on the matter, reporting similar findings from a survey of small and mid-sized businesses in five countries. What's more, the businesses surveyed by PaySafe overwhelmingly believe it's the responsibility of their payment services providers to protect them from fraud.
81% of online merchants said they put the onus of fraud protection on their payment services providers. 59% said security and fraud protection are critical factors in deciding which payment services providers to partner with. Uh, it's a more important than reliability, cited by 49%, and cost, which was cited by 47%. Frictionless payments, you know, those that occur behind the scenes in apps, are angst-provoking for a growing number of businesses. More than half of those surveyed by Paysafe said they worry that these app-based payments rendered them vulnerable to fraud and will negatively impact revenues. Wow, over half, you said? Yeah. Whew, that's yeah, a lot. That's a lot. Uh, Three-quarters said they are being more aggressively targeted by fraudsters now compared to just a few years ago, hmm. which doesn't really surprise me. No. <laughs> you know, especially as more commerce goes online. Sure. Now, the PaySafe survey examined merchant attitudes towards both card present and card not present transactions. And the attitudes towards frictionless payments differ significantly between these two. Not surprising. Right. You know, 20, about a quarter of card present merchants fear that frictionless payments are more prone to fraud compared to about half of card not present merchants. And one reason for this disparity is the face, I think at least, is the face-to-face -face nature of card transactions. Right. You know, the fact that ma most merchants have cameras and things sure. like that. Yeah. They can figure out, you know, who was at the point of sale initiating that transaction. Right. Uh, so here's some, um, uh, some additional insights. In the uh, card not present market, growing sense that uh, merchants need to be able to accept more types of payments. On average, these merchants accept four payment instruments today. Credit cards, of course, accepted by 84%. Debit cards by 73%, digital wallets 43%, and prepaid cards 38%, which I found a little curious because I'm not sure they can tell the difference between prepaid. Yeah, I was going to say, how do yeah, they even know? I'm not quite sure. Is that is that just maybe the business owners answering the question and not understanding? Yeah, that's yeah. And, and I also it could be because, like I said, these were in different countries. They, you know, they, oh, okay. Well, that makes a more sense, too. UK, Canada, sure. US. Sure. Now, among card not present uh, businesses based in the U.S., this is just those based in the U.S., these numbers are even higher. 89% credit cards, 81% debit cards, 52% said they accept digital wallets, and about half, 49%, accept prepaid cards. Hmm. Uh, there's a definite trend towards expending, expanding payment options among CMP businesses in the U.S. as well as globally. 85% uh, said they plan to introduce new payment methods of some kind. 22% hmm. uh, are looking to accept mobile payments. 17% are planning to accept payments from digital wallets. And interestingly, 15% are interested in accepting cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Wait, what percentage on crypto? I missed that. 15, one five. One five. Okay, 15%. That's not a big, you know. Nothing to sneeze at, though. No, it's not. It's like, what is I'm that? Actually like kind of surprised. In, one in six? One yeah. in seven? One in six. Yeah, I'm kind of yeah. surprised, actually. I was. I was with that myself. Hmm. Now, among hard pre present uh, businesses, PaySafe's survey revealed a definite trend away from cash as newer options emerge. Uh, three, Nearly three in ten businesses in the U.S. and Canada said they're seeing fewer cash transactions. Okay. Okay, this is not to suggest they want to abandon cash. Right. Because 90... It's just the nature of reality, right? Right, exactly. Right? I mean, as you and I have talked about before, there's just a right. lot of people... Not carrying cash anymore. Not carrying cash anymore. Sure. Uh, 
But here's something I thought was interesting. Fewer businesses are offering cash back at the checkout. Hmm. Only 16% of U.S. businesses currently do so, according to PaySafe. And um, only about 9% of those trans- of transactions are actually cash back. Which what does that mean? Like, I've never had a... What do you mean cash back at the business? Okay, so I, 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 I was just going to explain this because okay, I was just <laughs> the other day in a store, right? Okay. Uh, I was going to use my my the debit function on my on my check card. Okay. Um, because I needed some cash for something else. Oh, you talking about you're, Oh, I got it now. You're so you're now saying now I'm okay. getting the cash back. Right, it says how much? You know, would you like cash back? You would hit you yes. Like what amount? Right. You put your pin number in. Okay. Got and it. I was really surprised. I was at a at a at a convenience store. Right. It was a chain. And I said, uh, oh, if I do this as a, as a debit, can I get cash back? And they said no. And I'm like, okay, then I'm going to do it as a credit. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, right, sure. not going to be a big difference, but I would give right. you my pin if I'm going to get some cash back, right? Right. Um, so here's what else PaySafe hmm. uh, found out. 95% of card present businesses in the U.S. and Canada accept credit cards. It's not surprising. No. 93% accept debit cards. Right. 47% accept checks. I thought that was an interesting number. Yeah, I don't know what I think about that. I really... I, and again, I guess it depends <sighs> on the types of businesses because... I think I may be surprised it's that high, to be honest. Well, that's what I was. Is that's that what, what you're thinking? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That's a little higher than I would expect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, definitely. And I would again, think it's closer to 25% it's, or 20%. You know, even. like, okay, at my hardware at the hardware store, maybe, but not at the pizza joint, right? No, I wouldn't think. You know, but it, it is funny. I kind of wonder... When you you know I think you know it's funny I think that as you I think it was two percent you said or check transactions or checks in, in another I I would yeah. imagine there's so many businesses where they literally just don't ever get checks anymore that they haven't thought about it right because nobody ever I mean I don't think anybody ever tries to pay for pizza with a check I, mean, I maybe, haven't seen it maybe maybe if somebody's like for their business they're getting like three hundred dollars worth but even then they use the business credit card they're I using think. a card instead yeah, right right so, so that's interesting so yeah. here you know um, other other trends thirty eight percent of U S and Canadian businesses uh, card present businesses Except prepaid cards, thirty-seven percent except contactless. Now I thought that was a little mm. high given my experience. You and yeah. I have talked about this again. I think that they think they can accept contactless. Uh huh. Remember that <laughs> you did a I- interesting uh, yeah. uh, question from the field about right. how to sell contactless, right? Right. Right. Um, and twenty-nine uh, percent accept uh, payments initiated uh, using mobile wallets. Okay. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, and like their CN uh, card not present competitors, card present merchants are eager to expand payment options. Uh, nearly three out of four plan to start offering new payment options within the next two years. The most popular being mobile wallets like Apple Pay uh, and Android Pay and, sure. and the like. And contactless, you know, tap and go payments, which are planned by about 23% of the businesses surveyed. Hmm. Cost still outweighs c- security as a concern among card present businesses, but not by much. 62% of U.S. and Canadian businesses say cost is their top consideration. 60% said security. Hmm. So that's pretty much a wash, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, sure. Um, also, RANs include payment settlement times and access to funds. That one always surprises me. I mean, it does and it doesn't. I mean, I know a lot of small business owners just don't have money. Yeah. But, I mean, my goodness, really? What's, what's a day or two, right? Yeah, yeah. really. And I, I don't know. I yeah. know that kind, of, that kind of blows my mind, but I thought that was interesting. It for, is interesting. You know, it was a priority for... And I know it. I know it's true. I mean, my own portfolio that I built up, mm-hmm. that was a huge... They're always like, you know, now you have next day funding, right? And what's right. the cutoff time? And I'm like, 
I, really? I, you know, is it that hard? Is it? And it's one day's worth of transactions. Like you really aren't going to be able to hit payroll if you don't get yesterday's revenue, right? Man, that, you it, might need to put. You, you might need to save some money off, <laughs> right? Or maybe get a, a cash advance or something. Yeah, right? something. I don't know. Uh, ease of transactions, including refunds and chargebacks, be mm. consideration for okay four out of ten. Okay. Reliability and systems outages, thirty-four percent. Ease of access to support. Now, I would have thought this ranked as 24%. I would have thought that would have been a higher. You know, it's funny, and I think it just goes to show, that's such an interesting stat because that just goes to show the change in the industry going to a commodity. Right. If you asked me how important is my, my ability to have ease of support with my electricity provider. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hey, as long as they put on, keep the electricity running, that's yeah, all I care and about. Like right? it, and, and I'm not even really worried about it. It's just I know if it goes out, it's because of a storm or something outside right. of their control, and then they're going to come fix it. Yeah. So, you know. Brand reputation was another factor. What? Uh, well, how big? 20%. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's about Interesting. And then access to um, analysis and online reporting tools was only um, 1 in 10. Yeah. yeah which, that's I, which I thought, you know, given, you know, especially if you look at it compared to, you know, payment settlement times. Well, if, you're, if this is about managing your business, right? don't you think? But you know what, honestly, Patty, I think it's that, unfortunately, most of the ISOs either don't provide those tools or... They don't really encourage the use of them. Right. Now, I think once you've used it, I'll give you an example. So we were, our company was actually using Stripe for a little while mm-hmm. with our technology solution just because of how easy it is to integrate. Right. We actually switched over to uh, NMI, give them a little shout out there. Uh-huh. But we're using the NMI gateway now through another provider. But, um, uh, you know, I got to be honest, I really miss my little uh, Stripe app. Interesting. That showed my, I would just track it. I thought it was, right. it was neat. I looked because at it, it every day. Cool tool, right? yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, look at how we're doing this month versus last month. It's subscription revenue. Right. And I like seeing the growth one month over the next and things like that. And I don't have that uh, now. And, um, you know, I would be definitely one of the one out of 10 that would bring that up. Yeah. Um, but I think before I had experienced it, I wouldn't have brought it up. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think of it as that big because I'm tracking this through QuickBooks and everything else. But you know? don't you think because in their own personal financial lives yeah they have a lot more tracking tools they that do it would be more a uh, more desirable thing. i think it's one of those things that has to be somehow you've got to get people to use it once they do they'll be hooked on it right you know a lot of providers have these tools but the merchants just don't use them yeah but once you get a merchant to try it and again this goes back to cross-selling and things like that and, and entanglement and mm-hmm. getting the hooks in that we've talk, you know you've got to get your merchants to try this stuff and then they're going to see the value of it right right and then, um, so anyway, you know, I, I, I know this is a lot of data to, uh, to digest, but I think the message is more important than the numbers. And the message I take from this data is that buyer habits are changing, and that means businesses are looking to future-proof their checkout processes to keep pace with those changes. And the challenge for ISOs and the feed on the street is going to be in helping these businesses strike a balance between the dual demands of less friction and greater security. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Really good stuff today, Patty. Very thought-provoking. Yeah, thanks. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, 
NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So today I'm going to talk to you about what to do when you can't say yes. What to do when you can't say yes. As a sales agent, when we get asked a question or a request, we just want to say yes, Patty. Always. We want to say, of course we can do that, Mr. Merchant. You want next day funding and you want to batch out at 1 a.m. and get the money three hours later? Well, we would love to do that for you. But I can't. Nope. There's uh, <laughs> such a thing as... Uh, <laughs> um, what do you call it? Uh, ACH. Uh, uh, right. Yes. Uh, time uh, schedules. ACH schedules. Uh, schedules. Yes, yes. There's some. There's some real constraints. And so, this question actually came from uh, an agent in our six-week jumpstart program, and he has a merchant that is using Clover. Okay. And so he wanted to set them up to be able to do uh, next day funding. Okay. But because of the way that his processor is set up, et cetera, et cetera, this, this particular merchant needs to batch out at like, you know, 11 o'clock at night okay. and they can't get their money the next day. Of course not. You know, so, no. so I talked to him and, uh, about an idea and he went back to the merchant and, and he told the merchant, hey, you know what we could do? We have a cutoff time of, I think it was like 5 p.m. or something. Mm -hmm. He said, why don't we do, you know, you have a big lunch rush and then a big dinner rush. How about we do an auto batch at, you know, 4 p.m. Mm -hmm. and then another auto batch at 11 p.m. So, so you're getting same day, you're getting next day on, on half. lunch and yeah, sure, yeah, right, sure. So went to the merchant. The merchant says that's not good enough. <clears throat> Ooh, you know it's got to be all you know whatever. <laughs> so I, you know, a couple things I told him. I said, you know, and again, it's so frustrating I think for salespeople because they want to say yes. And I said, there's two things you got to understand. Number one, you're not operating in a vacuum here. The question is, what can your competitors do? Mm -hmm. Is there somebody else that can do this for this guy? Right. Um, and if not, then then what's the big deal? You know, the other thing I told him is <clears throat> I said, you know, sometimes the merchants need you to push back because a lot of times merchants, you know, they understand that the squeaky wheel gets the grease and they're very used to. I know in my, myself, I'm used to this uh, trying to be a little bit of a pain because you're usually going to get better service, better support. Uh, better pricing if you're a little bit of a annoyance, um, and so, so a lot of times though that's just a, that's just an act, that's just a put on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're just doing that because you want to get the best results. Right. And the reality is, we understand as business owners, there's things that you know we don't always get what we want, but we're going to try really hard. And so what's important is just to be really, really honest with the merchant. Honesty is the best policy. It is, and lay it out for them and give them options. This is my my big thing about this is give them options. And so the idea here in this case, what I told him is, I said, look, you need to go back in. And you need to say, look, you know, here are the options. And I said, you know, let's let's talk through it. You know, what are what are the options? Now, in this case, this merchant had already purchased the hardware. Mm -hmm. No, I take that back. They'd actually given him a bunch of Clover systems because it was a really big merchant. Okay. So they've given him like I don't know four grand worth of stuff because he's multiple locations and everything. Um, so they gave him his Clover systems. He was already set up. He was already active. You know what I mean? Like that right, ship sailed. Right, right. And then he just thought he could get next day funding, but he couldn't with with his setup. And I said, you know, so what you do is you go to him and you say. Here, here are, you know, we have, we have three options. <clears throat> option A, you know, in this case it was option A. Uh, we just continue doing it the way we're doing it now. It's going to take you an extra day to get your money. We just gave you four grand worth of equipment. Mm -hmm. You know, how much is one day worth of processing, you know, really worth to you? I mean, right. there's got to be a, a number at which if I said if it costs you, you know, an extra thousand dollars a month. I mean, at some point it's, it's got to be worth something. And so we just gave you four grand. I think that justifies an extra day. And so you just go back with that pitch. 
Okay. You can tell them that's option one. Option two is we do what I said and do like the the batch. And I said, ask him why. You know, just because the merchant says no, that's not good enough. Why? Yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong. You know, a lot of times the merchants who seem the most gruff and and uh, they have that exterior. A lot of times they enjoy when somebody comes back to them in kind. Well, they're in business. They want to, you know, right. they negotiate too, right? Right. But they don't mind if somebody says to me something like, "No, oh, that's not good enough." I'll say, "Why not?" Mm-hmm. It's fine. You don't have to be gentle. Like, why not? Let him explain it. Maybe he thinks, I told him, I said, maybe this guy is used to old dial-up terminals, and he thinks that auto-batching is going to take two minutes, and his terminal is going to be down at lunch. Mm-hmm. If you explain to him that actually it takes about two, three seconds, and it happens behind the scenes, and you won't even know what happened, well, he may not be that concerned about it. Right, right. So, you know, I said, give him option two. I tell him option three, if neither of those two options work, option three is we have to cancel your account. Obviously, you got to pay us $4,000, and then you can use whoever you want. Mm, okay. Yeah. Give them the options. Sure. And, you know, don't, you can, you know, the problem as a salesperson is this is where sales and negotiating come in. And, and people think they're the same. They're totally different. Mm-hmm. Selling people is about getting them to say yes initially to something that you're selling. Negotiating is where it's a gray area. It's not a yes or a no. It's a sliding scale. Mm-hmm. And this is where negotiating comes in. And as a negotiator, you can never be afraid to walk away you can never be afraid to walk away you, you right, have to right. you have to have that option has to be open mm-hmm. and a lot of salespeople they trick themselves into kind of thinking well i've got to keep the account no matter what right well then you're going to lose the account anyway because you're going to sound like an idiot mm-hmm. you know you have to be honest and in order to be truly honest and transparent you have to accept the fact that this particular deal might not work out And so I've had many times I've sold the merchant and they're like, look, we're upset about this. They get their first statement, you know, well, we didn't realize this or that or whatever. Some Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's their fault. And you got to go back in and say, you know, I've told many, uh, many, many, many merchants I've gone to and said, look, if if this issue ends up, you know, making it where you feel like you got to cancel your account. I don't have any hard feelings about that. And I totally understand. Um, I would like to fix the problem for you. I believe I have a solution. I will explain my solution to you. If you think this makes sense, let's do it. If not, let's cancel it, but let's be done one way or the other. Right, right. Just get it over with. You're going to rip the bandit off. Too many salespeople, it's like, boy, they pull that bandit off one hair at a time. Uh, uh, Painful for everybody. Appreciating, yes. You know what I mean? So uh, my big tip for you today in in the questions from the field is when you have a merchant where you can't say yes because they want something and you can't do it, my advice is say no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You can't say yes. Don't say maybe. Don't say let me check more into that. Let me look into it. Say no. You have to go to the merchant and say, here's the options I have for you. Don't be afraid to walk away and don't be afraid to say, no, we can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very important. Awesome. No, no, know your limitations. You have to. Yeah. All right, everybody. Good My stuff. My name is James Shepard. That was Questions for the Field. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.